Well, what you've just seen there is a selection of footage which appeared on social media this week from so-called Pride Festivals in Toronto, Canada and other parts of the United States. This is the last week of the so-called Pride Month, which is held in Western nations throughout June. Now, I was criticised on social media for reposting clips from America. But if anyone thinks this is just for the Only in America file and won't come to Australia, they are kidding themselves. A semi-naked man was filmed walking through Sydney's Hyde Park during Sydney World Pride back in February. And we had that infamous mural of a man in bondage gear painted uh, by a World Pride uh, participant at Sydney's Wynyard train station in full view of children. Remember that, this was all just earlier this year. We also had the Perite government, a liberal government, funding Pride-affiliated events that featured animal fetishes and, of course, drag queen story time for children. The LGBTIQA plus political and cultural agenda is in our streets and it's in our faces. It is not safe for our children and the sooner we abandon the idea of public pride events, the better. Hello, I'm Lyle Shelton, welcome to today's show. I'm sorry, not sorry, for starting with all this, but it is so important we do not become desensitized to what's going on around us. Light must be shone on darkness if we are to see it dissipated. We must never give up. Well, it's another big show today. Shortly, I'll be talking with a good friend of mine, the former member for Dawson in the federal parliament, George Christensen, about the crisis in conservative politics in Australia. Kiralee Smith joins me as usual, and she's got some good news to report from the Let Women Speak About Sex event that was held at the New South Wales parliament last week. And I'll also be speaking with ADH-TV's own Fred Paul about the rise of alternative media platforms. You won't want to miss any of this, so don't touch that dial. But first, First, we have to keep talking about the voice. We are going to use the rule book of the nation to force them. There is nothing more powerful than building a First Nations voice, a black institution, a black political force to be reckoned with. Keep going until we change the system, until we tear down the institutions that harm our people. And also to pay respects to the elders of the Communist Party, who I think uh, without a doubt have played a very important role in our activism. Now, many well-meaning Australians, and I hear this all the time in, in Christian circles that I move in, say the Indigenous people and our Indigenous people have been dispossessed and disadvantaged, and so we need to do something. Yes, I, I agree. There have been injustices in the past, and some of these have been addressed. And more obviously, more needs to be done to achieve reconciliation and unity in this nation. But just because we rightly feel an urge to do something doesn't mean we should do what is currently on the table. As families continue to struggle with the rising cost of living, divisive assertions about the voice's power by one of its architects, Thomas Mayo, an Albanese government appointee to the Voice Referendum Working Group, who we saw in that opening clip, uh, have emerged, as you just saw. And um, this footage, it's quite confronting, was unearthed by the No Campaign's Fair Australia. Now, Mayo is one of the drafters of the referendum question Australians will be asked to vote on in October. However, his public statements and affiliations raise serious concerns about the underlying objectives of The Voice. Mayo's declarations of intent to keep going until, they, to, until we change the system, until we tear down the institutions that harm our people could be construed as calling for a dismantling of the very foundations of Australian society. 
No one seriously asserts there are institutions willfully harming Indigenous Australians or Australians of any other racial background for that matter. Uh, I don't say that our institutions are perfect, but there is no deliberate attempt to harm anyone, let alone Indigenous people. Mayo has uh, stated that The Voice is about punishing politicians who decline to take its advice and that it is about extracting reparations and compensation from non-Indigenous Australians. Such a stance may lead to social unrest and a significant loss of unity in our nation. The Family First Party, of which I'm the National Director, reaffirms its commitment to the well-being and rights of Indigenous Australians. I think all Australians feel enormous goodwill towards our Indigenous brothers and sisters, and we all grieve that there's a gap that still needs to be closed in terms of standard of living uh, and health and education. We support reconciliation and recognition in the Constitution, but not enshrining a race-based voice with undefined powers. Now, Thomas Mayo's public acknowledgement of the Communist Party's influence on his activism uh, further deepens our concern. Now, while an ABC journalist, Dana Morse, this week falsely claimed genocide of Indigenous people was ongoing, Mayo seems unaware that Communist governments are responsible for actual genocides. In fact, the most atrocious in human history in terms of the body count. Now, I believe, and Family First strongly believes, in the principles of democracy, free markets, and individual rights and responsibility. Principles that stand in stark contrast to the ideals of communism. This party firmly opposes any attempt to introduce elements of this ideology into Australia's constitution implicitly or otherwise. Sadly, the voice seems to be motivated by critical race theory, which is, of course, an offshoot of Marxism, the ideology that animated the murderous, bloody communist regimes of the 20th century. I believe in equality and justice for all Australians, regardless of their ethnic background or racial heritage. However, we are understandably at Family First uh, cautious about initiatives underpinned by a theory that fundamentally stems from communist ideology. We cannot support an initiative that potentially divides our society based on race rather than unifying it. We call on all Australians to engage in a reasoned and balanced debate about the proposed voice referendum. We must avoid any rush to amend our constitution without fully understanding the potential long-term implications. The Family First Party remains dedicated to achieving genuine improvement, improvements in the lives of Indigenous Australians. However, we believe that this goal can be achieved without disrupting the unity and social harmony that underpin our nation. I have had the, the Parliamentary Council actually draft for me a bill. It is the Human Rights Children Born Alive Protection Bill. Well, my guest today is George Christensen, who served 12 years in the Australian Parliament until last year as the member for Dawson, based on the North Queensland city of Mackay. I've had the privilege of knowing George for more than 20 years uh, since our days in local government uh, back in Queensland. George, it's uh, fantastic to have you on the program today. Thanks for giving us of your time. Thank you very much, Lyle. It's great to be on your show. Well, George, let's um, start talking about the subject matter of that clip I just showed. Uh, how pleased were you to see Senators Alex Antic, Matt Canavan and Ralph Babette take your bill about protecting babies born alive after botched abortions and get it to the place 
where there were public hearings held uh, by a Senate committee early this month. Oh, look, very pleased, Lyle. Uh, you know, Matt Canavan in particular told me before the last federal election that he was going to actually do that. So it's great to see uh, that actually come into fruition. Uh, Matt is always a man of his word, so I knew that that was going to be done. Uh, but to have these three fantastic senators uh, behind this bill, uh, putting it forward in the national parliament to keep it alive is, is very good. And to give it the airing that it deserves in a Senate inquiry uh, is is also very good, Lyle, because uh, there's a lot that's come out during that Senate inquiry. Uh, we've seen, you know, the testimony that refutes the claims from the left that this simply isn't an issue. We know it is an issue. Uh, we've heard that testimony at the Senate inquiry, and now I guess it behoves the national parliament and the government to do something about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think I said to Senator Antic on this show a few weeks ago, it was a, a we should never underestimate the achievement of that actually reaching uh, Senate committee stage. And of course, the, the information that came out just shows that this is an issue, it's incontrovertible. Um, George, when you first introduced the bill, you wrote to the then Prime Minister, Scott Morris, and this is back in about 2021, uh, seeking his support. Mm -hmm. That's a reasonable thing to do. Um, what were you hoping to achieve when you wrote to Scott Morrison? Well, I was hoping that either one or two things, I guess you've got to aim high. So I was hoping that one, the government might adopt the bill as its own. Uh, now, look, being uh, a logical mind within uh, the political sphere, I, I knew that probably was a difficult one. Abortion is always a controversial issue, even though this bill really doesn't deal with abortion. It deals with the aftermath, uh, a very sad aftermath of abortion, that is babies who are born alive, uh, as a result of an abortion that had just simply left to die. Now, uh, my thoughts were that the Prime Minister, as the leader of the government, may have even just allowed a conscience vote on this matter for it to come forward for a vote, um, because I thought that Scott Morrison would have been of the same mind as I, that this is a tragedy, this is something that is against our international obligations. Uh, we sign up to the... Uh, Conventions on the Rights of a Child, uh, those rights include the right to life, uh, and they also include the right to health care, um, particularly when there is a life-threatening situation at stake. So uh, I thought that it may have been considered for uh, at least a conscience vote and bringing to the floor of Parliament for a vote law. Yeah, it should have at least come to that. And that way it could have been debated in uh, the parliament, the debating chamber of the nation. But um, Scott Morrison wrote back to you and you released that letter publicly. Here's a quote um, which I think our viewers should be aware of from that letter. This is what Scott Morrison said to you. He said, the access to pregnancy termination, that is abortion, is an important element of the reproductive and sexual health services the Commonwealth government supports for Australian women. And we continue to work with the states and territories on the availability of safe and legal abortion Australia-wide. Now that's from Scott Morrison. Um, that's the Prime Minister of the nation essentially saying that he supports uh, Australia's regime of abortion to birth laws, even when there's a healthy mother and a healthy baby. I think that would have shocked a lot of Scott Morrison's Christian supporters. Would you agree, George? Shocked me, Lyle. I mean, I probably expected that response from Malcolm Turnbull, not from 
Scott Morrison now, let me be clear, uh, do I think Scott Morrison penned the letter himself? No, it's probably some uh, staffer in his office that penned it. Uh, however, his signature was on it, um, which effectively said that Australia supports uh, liberal abortion agenda and uh, is proud of its role in promoting abortion, which they term as uh, reproductive health services uh, around the world. Um, now, uh, look, let, let me be clear here. Do I honestly think that Scott Morrison actually believes that which is written in that letter? No, um, I believe that Scott Morrison would be opposed to abortion. But nonetheless, if we had a letter from the Prime Minister actually saying that uh, in his role as Prime Minister, he was supportive of that regime, uh, supportive of uh, those services uh, being provided for women around Australia and around the world and Australia's role in that provision. Mm. So it was quite an affront. Uh, I got to say that when I had that letter in my hot little hands, they started shaking. I didn't know what to do uh, with that letter. Um, I simply put it on my desk and pondered it. And that probably was the beginning of the end in terms of my decision to not continue on in politics, actually, Lyle. I felt that aggrieved over that letter. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that um, reasons for why you left politics in a moment. But like you, George, I was shocked when I saw you post that. I think you posted it around about the same time as the um, Cherish Life, March for Life in Brisbane, the very big annual pro-life march up there. And uh, so I reposted it on my Facebook page. And, and I want to share this anecdote and, and have some discussion with you, because I think you know we can give people a bit of an insight into the machinations of politics that, that normal people just find incomprehensible. So on posting that letter on my Facebook page, I received a call at nine o'clock one night from a cabinet minister who was very, very angry. Uh, I said to him, well, you know, if you're angry about this, why doesn't the Prime Minister then correct the record that has him supporting Australia's abortion to birth laws? Um, George, this Cabinet Minister then angrily told me that is not going to happen. Now, George, um, you've seen it all in politics, but this is shocking to the average Christian who thought they had one of their own in the lodge. Yeah, look, uh, I can't speak to... Scott Morrison's mind to be not only he can speak to that, but um, I think that it, it sort of is a sign of a greater malaise within the Liberal Party, uh, and that is that it's sort of pulled in many directions. They've got many different competing factions uh, who hold many different ideologies within the party room, and uh, they're getting pulled all over the shop. And one of the places, uh, one of the forces that's also doing a bit of the uh, uh, the pulling at the sides of the Liberal Party is the media as well. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about the Canberra bubble uh, when I was there in Parliament. Uh, but the, the problem is the Canberra bubble actually had a grip of the government. Um, you know, there's this uh, misconception that things that the media, the mainstream media say, are the things that the public believe. And I really just don't think that is the case. So there's a, there's a bit of fear uh, within the ranks of the Parliamentary Party, of the Liberal Party, to um, uh, speak out on anything that is going to upset the media uh, for fear that it is going to upset the Australian public. And I think that, uh, you know, we've got to get beyond that point if we want to get some real change on the Conservative ledger. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And look, I had a conversation last week on this show with um, the Australian newspaper's foreign editor, Greg Sheridan, 
And um, he, he made some similar observations. And, and I'd like to just play this clip and then just have some further discussion with you. I don't like to be always beating up on the Liberal Party, but you'd have to say there has been a tremendous failure, uh, tremendous intellectual failure on the part of the Liberals, both federally and at the state level. So they were in office for 10 years federally, and all they did really was implement uh, left-of-centre policies, implement Labor's policies. So, so, George, you know, you were there during those 10 years. Um, you've mentioned the Canberra bubble, the, the hold that the media has on the Liberal Party. Um, but um, help our viewers understand, um, you know, is it, is it just a lack of courage to stand up to that? Because we've seen people like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and Viktor Orban in Hungary stand up to, you know, left-wing media and, and outfits like the, the woke European Union, et cetera, and, and be rewarded <coughs> at the ballot box. Um, what, why is it, do you think, that the, the Liberal Party doesn't have leaders uh, with the courage to do what some of those leaders in overseas countries are doing? I think there's many factors at play here. To be fair, uh, there were some right-of-centre uh, policies that were brought in by the uh, Liberal National Government over the 10 years that I was, or 11 years that I was there. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, well, it wasn't 11 years, it was about nine, but nevertheless, there was a lot of left of centre policies that were brought in, Lyle. Yeah. And I think it comes from a, a number of different places. Um, one, uh, it's the pre-selections. So the makeup of the party room uh, are these people who are steeped in the values of the Liberal and National parties, or are they just good blokes and good women from the community who really don't have uh, uh, political principles, uh, an ideology, if you will. Uh, they don't subscribe to any sort of set of political values. So when the breeze goes in a particular direction, they go along with it. Now, that is a very big part of the problem. Uh, and, and, you know, then, of course, what I said, uh, this fear of the media, that is also another big part of the problem. Uh, when you fear a media that is nearly always left-wing, or at least mostly left-wing, uh, you are going to be driven in a left-wing direction as well. Can I say, Lyle, there's also something to be said about the Australian culture, uh, which goes to you know, our people. Uh, unfortunately, we are also influenced uh, by the mass media, uh, by all the cultural institutions. They have been trending left for a long, long time. And so if the culture and the people are trending in a leftward direction, then so too will the government, regardless of which political persuasion it is. So I think all of those factors are uh, combining. But you are right. What it needs is some intellectual rigour, uh, some principles, uh, you know, grasping onto issues that they know the Australian public will come on board with and uh, leading from the front. I think that's uh, now, right, George. Look, uh, look, I, say, I think Peter Dutton has the abil ability to do that, Lyle. Peter Dutton does have the ability, if any Liberal leader since Tony Abbott. Well, I, I hope you're right, George, um, because, you know, the early signs haven't been good, although he has changed tack a little on energy policy since the, uh, the budget, and, and that's good. And uh, he's been strong on the voice to Parliament, but after a bit of a slow start. So I think there's still 
a question mark there, in my humble opinion. But um, George, you know, you and I have both seen uh, people, you know, working um, very hard from within the Liberal and the National Parties to influence those pre-selections. You've identified that as uh, a key issue as to why we don't have principled people in Parliament who'll stand up. And uh, I've seen people working this space over over more than a decade and um, seen very little fruit of that. Um, Senator <coughs> Alex Antic in South Australia is quite upfront about the fact that he's wanting to recruit people who will, you know, have traditional Liberal Party values. Um, there's no secret about that. Do you, uh, you yourself sensationally quit the LNP after more than 20 years as a member, uh, just ahead of the last uh, election and joined the One Nation Party. Uh, I guess what you did, your actions probably speak to where you see the best strategy lying in, in the future for people who hold the values that you and I do. Yeah, look, I, I don't, um, I don't want to uh, poo-poo the idea of trying to change the system from within. It's just that I had 11 years at that job and it uh, proved a little bit fruitless for me. So uh, I thought that my role perhaps was on uh, the other side of the ledger, being in one of the minor right parties and trying to agitate for change from that position. And I think that there is a place for minor right parties such as uh, One Nation uh, because um, they have the ability, just as the Greens did with the Labor Party, uh, to drag the mainstream Conservative Party to the right, uh, to the pro-freedom side, to the traditional side. Uh, and I hope that that is the role that they uh, that they do play and will play into the future. Um, but uh, I look, good luck to all of those uh, brave warriors that uh, go into the system and try and uh, change it from within. I wish them luck. Uh, but like you, Lyle, I've seen very little fruit. In fact, I've seen a lot of roadblocks yeah. to people that try and do that. Uh, I could uh, name names. You yeah. talked about the South Australian situation. I mean, they booted out a whole heap of Christians who joined yeah. that party, um, which was a great shame. And there's, there's many other stories like that. No, Lyle. There are, George. And I've talked on this show about the fact that uh, I was unable to uh, be admitted to Correct. membership of the, the Queensland Liberal National Party. And um, John, John Howard even, wrote even, in yes. his book. Um, John Howard wrote about how that was a, a disappointment, and I appreciate Mr Howard's uh, referencing that, but it goes to the deep malay in the party. I, I agree with you. I think um, there is a place for, for both strategies, and I have many you know friends who are working in the major um, right of centre parties, the Liberal and National parties, and, and of course you and I are working in minor parties. Um, I guess the, the, the problem that we... Uh, uh, um, see all the time, or the, the question that's asked of people like you and I all the time is, um, we don't have the preference discipline at election times uh, on the on the centre right of politics. So the the Greens, as you mentioned, rigid preference. Di um, discipline, so their votes always flow through to Labor, whereas we're seeing a fragmentation with, you know, the likes of UAP, um, One Nation, you know, Family First, on, we're on the scene now trying to vie for a slice of that pie. How do you see the future of conservative politics in this nation? And how do you see us finding some sort of cohesion uh, so that we don't end up with a, you know, DLP type split that split the Labor movement for 20 years back in the 50s and 60s? Well, look, I think that there has to be some sort of um, uh, gathering, coalescing of uh, minor right parties. I'm firmly of the belief that that should be the case. I mean, uh, when you have a look at the policies of some parties, uh, for instance, Catters Australia Party, the United Australia Party and the One Nation Party, I've got to say there's a tally-ho paper between them. 
so why are there three parties? Uh, I, I don't understand that myself. Apart from it may come down to just personalities. Uh, and I think that at some stage that has to play second fiddle to the good of the nation. So I hope that there is a future for a merged uh, party on the, on, the, on, the, on the right, not the centre-right, on the right, uh, that can actually capture a greater bulk of the, uh, of the vote that is out there uh, because we know uh, that can be anywhere, like up in my part of the world, North Queensland, that vote can be uh, 20% or higher yeah. at times. Um, we know across the nation, uh, if we look at all of these minor right parties, can be in the order of about 15%. That's not a, a, an unsizable number, Lyle. That means no, that's, that's if a, it was that's consistent the across Greens. the nation, that's a senator. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And if it's consistent across the nation, that's a senator in every state. So uh, this is this is uh, something that really does need to be considered by the the, the minor conservative parties. Yeah. No. Look, I agree. And look, uh, I admit, you know, we're part of the uh, the challenge and the the problem uh, with what Family First is doing. But um, like many, so many of us, we feel we've got no choice but to pursue minor party politics. And uh, let's watch this space. Let's keep that as an open question and keep talking to each other. Now, George, our time's running out, but um, I think our viewers will be keen to know. Um, you know, so many of them have followed you. Um, what what are you doing now? We know that you're, you're married. Uh, you have a beautiful young daughter. You're concentrating on your family, but you're only in your early 40s. And um, there's so many Australians who are very grateful for the voice you've had. Um, what's next for George Christensen? Well, as you know, Lyle, I've got my own uh, newsletter and blog at nationfirst.substack.com, which I'm still working on uh, daily. Uh, but I've also just taken up a role as the campaign director for Australia for an outfit called Citizen Go, which is all about uh, defending and promoting uh, faith, family and freedom. And uh, that is very, very important because those things are under attack in the modern West and including in Australia. I mean, we've just seen the government come out with this uh, Orwellian plan to uh, uh, police free speech online. So freedom is under attack. Uh, it will continually be and we'll need organisations like Citizen Go to be defending against uh, those sort of attacks. And I'm glad to be part of it, Lyle. Very good, George. Well, there you go, folks. Um, there's a bit of a scoop there of George Christensen's next move to Citizen Go. Some breaking news here here on ADH TV. Uh, George, I think that's fantastic. Um, look, um, we need more uh, vehicles, more organisations. Uh, the left have been very good uh, at having multiple voices uh, advancing their agendas, and um, this is another one. So, George, um, we wish you well in that and uh, with your commentary through your nation first, and I'd encourage people to, to go and access uh, that. Uh, George, thanks so much for giving of your time today. Thank you, Lyle, and thank you, ADHTV. Well, it's time to bring in my regular guest, Kiralee Smith from Binary, to continue as we do each week to shine a light on the relentless war on girls and women that has been enabled by the silence of our politicians and others in society who can no longer say that they don't know what's going on. Kiralee, uh, last week when we filmed this segment, um, you were just about to head up to the New South Wales Parliament for the Why Can't Women Talk About Sex Forum. It was a fantastic event. I was privileged to be there and uh, congratulations to you and the organisers. But it was not without incidents. Uh, tell us what happened. Oh, look, there was a handful, I think four in total, um, young people who got up and started, well, they just sounded like a gobble of turkeys, really. We couldn't even understand what they were saying. They didn't bother to listen to any of the women or our stories. 
Uh, they carried on like galahs. They were escorted out by a trans-identified person who was there to listen and uh, to support the women who were speaking. And uh, it, it was a very minor fracas in what was a wonderful event of nine women sharing stories of how we're being penalised for speaking about biological sex. So they were a blip on the radar, nothing more. And uh, unfortunately, mainstream media, of course, pick up on that. But uh it, it really didn't mar the event in any way. In fact, it proved our point that there are some really radical people out there trying to silence our voices and we will not be silenced. Yeah, look, I think it was so significant, Kiralee, that that event went ahead uh, without that, those people disrupting the event. Um, clearly their tactics are to intimidate and to, and to shut down, but I think this is where you and others have brought this movement to, that those tactics are not working anymore. Um, so, Kiralee, there were so many great speeches at the event, but um, a comment that really hit me was from um, child psychologist uh, Dr Gillian Spencer, uh, who had been stood down from her job at Queensland's Children's Gender Clinic for blowing the whistle on how puberty blockers are harming children. But she said, that um, it was a really important point. She said, this is not a culture war issue, it's a child safety issue. Uh, again, we ask this question each week, what will it take for politicians to act? Yeah, look, it, it was uh, really sobering to hear Dr Gillian Spencer's testimony, uh, along with people like Jasmine Sussex, the Australian breastfeeding uh, mm. expert, yep. um, you know, Dr or Professor, Associate Professor Holly Lawford-Smith, you know, in the academia world, where professional women are being um, not just silenced but actually actively penalised, as in being stood down, for having a view of child safety, safeguarding for women and children, um, for girls. Uh, it's, it's quite disturbing and alarming. In fact, Labor politician Greg Donnelly, I thought, used the word very well when he said it was very chilling to hear those stories um, because th this is a very serious issue that needs to be addressed and uh, we will not uh, relent until the politicians do take note. Yeah, no, you mentioned Greg Donnelly. Um, I recall him saying that uh, his colleagues, he was the only Labor politician there and there was only one Liberal politician, uh, Tanya Davies. But uh, Greg made the point that uh, his colleagues feel intimidated uh, by this issue and by the, the activists. Um, so, so good on you, uh, a great success. And Kiralee, the uh, footage um, and, and the, the speeches are all available uh, right here on ADHT TV, aren't they? Yes, and we are so thankful. Uh, not only did ADHTV live stream the event, they've cut up each uh, uh, segment so that you can watch each woman's very powerful speeches. They're only short, very um, punchy, uh, get to the point very quickly. So thank you, ADHTV, and get along um, to the page and check out the women's speeches uh, because you will no doubt be shocked and you will learn a few things along the way. Yeah, fantastic. Now, now, Kiralee, just moving on to other news from the week, um, you've published at the Binary website, binary.org.au, a letter from a mother entitled The Stolen Generation, The Urgent Need for Safeguards. Uh, tell us about that. Well, look, that's the fifth in an essay that this particular mother has written for Binary, sharing her um, first-hand account and experiences of raising two daughters who are captured by gender ideology. She's had some success in uh, keeping them from being medicalised at this stage, uh, but she's been horrified herself, a very intelligent woman uh, in the STEM 
uh, area of her work, um, but to realise that there are very little safeguards when it comes to children who are captured by this ideology and that uh, most doctors, psychiatrists and medical practitioners are going down this affirmation-only pathway. They're not looking at the neurodivergence of a lot of these girls who have autism or trauma, uh, depression and other mental health issues um, and even eating issues in some cases. And uh, it's just progressing way too fast without those safeguards put in place, without addressing those issues in the first place there are um, medicalizing children, which does end uh, up being sterilized and no sexual function and bone and brain development issues. So this mother is sounding the alarm. She's calling for greater safeguards and she will also in future weeks be offering suggestions of questions to ask medical practitioners when you're taking your children uh, so that you can determine whether these practitioners are going to care for your children or whether they're going to be um, too afraid to do that or whether they're too captured uh, and we'll just go down that affirmation-only pathway. Oh, fantastic, Kiralee. Um, uh, it's such a shame that that mother has to publish uh, under an anonymous pseudonym, but uh, at least the message is getting out and uh, people can go to your website and see more of that. Kiralee, a few weeks ago now, um, but uh, it's worth you know continuing to remind people that this is the sort of thing that's happening all the time. Um, a journalist at the Melbourne Age newspaper, Julie uh, Sego, I think is how you pronounce her name, was sacked uh, for her reporting, uh, shining a light on what the child gender clinics are doing to children. Now, again, this is pretty chilling stuff, isn't it? That's extremely chilling. When uh, this journalist, she is a self-described left-wing uh, kind of feminist in this space, she's not even uh, necessarily opposed to the affirmation pathways uh, for children, but she certainly wants to expose that there is a debate going on and there are more sides to this story. And uh, rather than just reporting this, the science is settled and, uh, you know, everyone who disagrees is a transphobe, she's trying to explore this issue uh, and to raise up the the issues that we should all be asking, regardless of what side of politics we're on. This yeah. really isn't a left or right issue. This yeah. is uh, about child safeguarding, about women's rights and about parental rights. And uh, for her troubles, uh, she her editor, which I've heard this many, many times, Lyle, from many different publications, that the editors are sta stepping in and drawing the line and saying, no, we will not publish uh, these articles or uh, air these interviews uh, for fear of being called transphobic and for going against the narrative of gender ideology. And so Julie is now on Substack. Uh, she will be writing her articles um, that, that all the public can access. Uh, but it is very, very disturbing that just simply raising concerns can see a person lose their job in this country. Yeah, it, it, look, um, it, this is how the cancel culture is working and uh, we've got to keep telling people. I, I think the or average Australian would be absolutely appalled that this is going on. Um, Kiralee, think. speaking of being absolutely appalled about what's going on, uh, I want to keep before our viewers and our listeners um, the fact that you are facing multiple legal actions. And um, I know there's probably not a lot that you can say, but tell us what you can in terms of any updates. Look, yeah, we, we have two hearing dates uh, at the moment for the applications for AVOs, one in uh, September, AVOs one in October. AVOs being apprehended so violence orders, uh, as, if, as if you're a violence yes. person. It's crazy. Yeah, two and AVOs. And I'm not a violent person. <laughs> and the truth is not violence and the truth is not hate speech. I will, you know, say that till the day I die. Um, and... 
yeah, so so we're just busy at the moment. We're collecting affidavits and testimonies um, from people. We are uh, we are going to defend um, myself and my position in this all the way to the very end. And uh, there's also two vilification complaints, which uh, we think are. Uh, quite ridiculous as well, again, saying that uh, speaking the truth about biology, about males, male bodies and female sports is not hate. And, uh, you know, through political discourse and just through scientific fact, we should be able to say those things without fear or threat of uh, legal action being taken against us. So, again, I will defend those. That's just, you know, still up in the air. The commissioner is considering where to go with that at the moment. Yeah, I I want people to understand that people like yourself and, and, you know, myself and all the women who are speaking at the Let Women Talk About Sex event uh, have been punished and sanctioned in some way, and this should not be happening in Australia. If people disagree with other people, that it should be debated. Uh, people shouldn't be using the law, and these are very flawed laws, which our politicians uh, don't have the courage and the will to amend to protect freedom of speech anymore. Kelly, we've got to leave it there, but uh, thanks again uh, for another uh, segment of, of your brilliant insights, and uh, it's great to see the ball being moved forward through events like the one last week at Parliament House. Thanks so much, Kiralee. Thank you, Lyle. Well, ADH-TV is the new media kit on the block, and it's a privilege to be on this platform bringing you a weekly political show. We're given enormous freedom to say the things that are no longer allowed to be said on other mainstream media platforms. Who would have thought Australia would come to this? Now, many people still haven't heard about ADH-TV. We're still fairly new. So I thought I'd invite ADHD host, TV, ADH-TV host, and editorial director Fred Paul to talk about the shifting media landscape. Now, Fred is a former journalist with the Australian newspaper. He's the author of the brilliant biography of the late, great Bill Leake, Die Laughing. Uh, I've read it. I highly commend it. And for the past 12 months, he's hosted the Fred Paul Show right here on ADH-TV. Fred, welcome. Oh, thanks, Lyle. Always a pleasure to be here. Fred, um, it's great to have you. Uh, Tell us um, a little bit about ADH-TV and how it got off the ground. Well, in November 2021, there was a reshuffle at Sky News, mostly to incorporate Piers Morgan into the the evening lineup, which... uh, didn't turn out to be a spectacular success. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but the uh, the casualty from that reshuffle was actually Alan Jones, who who frequently outrated all the other uh, regular hosts on that network. Uh, and as you know, I mean, Alan Jones is the greatest uh, broadcaster in Australian history. His legacy will probably never be surpassed um, uh, in our lifetimes, at mm. least. Anyway. Uh, Alan was offered a, uh, a kind of um, a, a token show on a streaming uh, service and Alan said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Now, the, the real reason, though, Lyle, and it's not a secret, is that Alan is outspoken. He's not an easy man to, uh, he doesn't take orders very easily. Uh, and he was more outspoken than most on Sky News about the vaccine rollout. And Sky News, as everyone knows, is part of the News Corp organisation and News Corp uh, you know, a blind Freddy, which is me, could say, could have seen uh, that News Corp was for some reason very aggressively supporting the vaccine rollout. So, and also Sky News at the time was shifting its sort of business focus from its linear broadcast, which was uh, diminishing somewhat, mm. as all linear broadcast uh, platforms are, onto digital platforms, mm. um, specifically in, in Sky News's case, YouTube, and it's been very successful at that, Lyle. Mm. You know, it's it's got over three million subscribers, and 
and uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's big hits on YouTube are very significant and quite profitable, but, you know, you shift all your, uh, your business eggs into that basket and you are beholden to YouTube's sensors. And um, I think that would have been the main reason why Alan was uh, taken out of the lineup. So ADH was created as a platform for Alan, but it was always going to be created as a new home for free speech, or as a, what I call it, common sense commentary. And here we are. Well, that's fa that's fascinating, uh, Fred. I, I didn't realise all of that background, particularly the fact that big tech played a key role and, and the, the money that big tech speaks. Um, and so certainly um, Sky News's loss um, uh, is, is ADH-TV's gain. And of course, Alan's been doing fantastically on this platform and, it, and it's really given ADH uh, a real leg up in its pioneering years. Um, Fred, um, this platform, ADH, has some similarities with um, another streaming platform in the UK called GB News, and it's become quite a phenomenon. Now, I know we've got some differences, of course, but the idea of using um, an independent digital streaming service to, to create you know, a competitor to the mainstream media is, is what we're doing here. What, what do you think has been the secret of GB News's terrific success in the UK, and do you think that ADH can also give mainstream media a real shake here in Australia? Well, I think you hinted at the answer to that, Lyle, and that is the word independent. When people tune into ADH or GB News, they don't have to try to second guess what uh, influences, sensorial influences, are being imposed on what they are being told. So, you know, I worked for News Corp for decades of my career, and for a lot of that, I was a, a very adamant defender of Rupert Murdoch and News Corp. It, it, in my opinion, it used to be a fantastic Australian success story. But in recent years, it's become, um, it, you know, it seems to have been succumbed to the same uh, temptation to manipulate the news yeah. in various ways um, that it never used to. I mean, the yeah. Australian used to be such a, a broad church of opinions, and these days uh, it, it's much narrower, as is all, as are all the other News Corp products. Yeah. Now, GB News is the same. You know, you tune into GB News and, and you know, you can, you can tune into... Um, Nigel Farage, people Nigel like that. Nigel Farage <laughs> or, yeah. uh, the, sorry, the Scottish bloke, um, Neil Oliver or, or, or um, uh, the, um, the pastor from... Um, oh, Calvin Robinson? Calvin yeah, Robinson. you've had him on your show. He's yeah, fantastic, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Stephen Doyle and, mm. you know, there's all sorts of... Uh, there's such a wide variety yeah. of characters on that station, which is what we're emulating here mm. on ADH. But the key thing, Lyle, I think, is that you can tune in and you... And, and you can just, you can be confident that you are not seeing something that has been dictated from yeah. up on high. Now, yeah. I mean, I've got to point out, though, that, you know, our colleague here at Mark Stein, mm. um, our colleague here at ADH, Mark Stein, used to work for GB News and left under sort of um, acrimonious circumstances. And it's mostly because GB News is beholden. Uh, like all broadcasters are in the UK, to Ofcom. And Ofcom mm. had serious problems with um, some things that Mark said, and Mark is actually now suing them over wow. it. Um, wow. So, you know, if, if there are sort of restrictions on what GB News viewers are given, it's only because GB News has to look over its shoulder at Ofcom. But, 
Here in Australia, you know, we uh, we're we're pretty free down here. Well, and it sounds a, like it's sounds a joy like, to be part of it. It sounds like ADH TV. Fred is the last bastion of freedom in the world. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if, if Mark Stein there. can get kicked off uh, GB News, and, and I know he's suing those, those issues, but um, look, you you and I both uh, trained as journalists. You you worked more in the mainstream media with News Limited. I worked uh, with Rural Press Limited for a number of years in a previous career, but but, but did a journalism degree. And uh, at the time, you know, in the late 80s, when I was at university, we were told that journalism was supposed to be independent and not subject to outside influences, money. Uh, but of course, that's all been corrupted uh, over the last few decades. And uh, it, it's only the uh, opportunities that uh, independent platforms like ADH have given for us to get back to what journalism is really meant to be about. That's right. Well, I recall in the journalism, the industry that I started working in uh, more than 30 years ago, the business model was clear to everyone involved, from the readers to the, to the journalists, to the editors, to the proprietors. The business model was read our paper or watch our TV news and we will speak truth to power on your behalf. And that just doesn't apply anymore, Lyle. I mean, the, you look around at the media today, they're not speaking truth to power, they're speaking to their audience on behalf of their powerful exactly, friends. Exactly, exactly. Yes, and of course, you know, the Washington Post, which is supposed to be one of the world's most famous newspapers, a bastion of, of uh, protecting the interests of the public. It's, uh, its tagline is democracy dies in darkness, but of course, democracy is dying because of the corruption of the mainstream media. Um, Fred, um, those insights have been fantastic. Great to talk to an old journal, not so old journalist like yourself, but um, it's so exciting that we've got the chance to, uh, to revisit and reinvigorate the ideals of this wonderful profession that you and I both love so dearly. So Fred, thanks so much for giving your insights and I look forward to getting you back again uh, on this show in the future. Thanks for having me on, Lyle, and it's a pleasure to work with you too, mate. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Don't forget to make ADH TV your go-to for commentary and analysis. There's a galaxy of Australia's leading voices available streaming and on demand on the ADH TV website, or better still, download the app. There's also regular political commentary at the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. I'm on Twitter at Lyle Shelton and on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow ADHD on Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you're getting the best in your social media feed. Well, thanks so much for your company. Until next week, keep speaking up.